Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Great Car Era, a podcast by EV Tuners. Today, I'm talking to Gregory from Wrenchology. Gregory and his wife, Stormy, started Wrenchology in 2022 in Southern California. Their focus has been primarily in the EV space, but they have a large background in automotive technology. Gregory is an engineer for a large OEM and has been transitioning out of the ice ages of his career for the last several years. Their transition into the EV conversion space began with a 1962 Chevy Corvair that's become a popular vehicle within the EV community and helped them to push into starting Wrenchology, fulfilling a growing demand for EV customers. Stormy and Gregory hold master technician certifications with advanced level certifications in hybrid technology, as well as multiple automotive degrees. Enjoy. Well, thanks, Gregory, for carving out the time today to meet with me. I think we have a lot of cool stuff to talk about. Um, but the first thing that uh, I was curious about is because I haven't talked to you for a couple of weeks. How was SEMA? SEMA was so much walking as it always is. <laughs> I mean, we, Stormy and I probably walk. I, I, I keep my little watch on me that kind of tells me how fat and lazy I am for the day. And when we're at SEMA, there is nothing lazy about it. We probably put in 25,000 steps a day somewhere in that ballpark. So it's, you know, I, I usually aim for 10. So we're, we're doing quite a bit, uh, miles and miles of walking. Um, and there's just no way to totally digest everything that's there. But SEMA is such a cool space of what it was. And we, we love going every year. We love seeing how it's evolving, um, not just within, within the EV space, but also the business space for what they're doing. Sure. Uh, it's cool seeing all the new companies that are there and some of the cool progressive ideas that they're doing. Seeing, you know, even the EV charging companies that are there that are bringing their product are just you can't you can't put a value on what it means to be there for your business and everybody else that gets to be there with you to, to experience that it, it, it truly is an experience to go to SEMA. I recommend even if you hate the automotive industry, I, I recommend going there at least once if you can just to try to embrace that feeling a bit. For the free food, at least, right? <laughs> Wait, food's free? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I Everything saw posts. There. With uh, all sorts of swag, including like tables that had food at them. And that, that piqued my interest. I wasn't there myself, but I'd be on the hunt. We went, we went as media and they, this year for the first time, uh, cause media gets free badges uh, ah. and, and, uh, cause it's like a hundred dollars a ticket to go in there, but they had a little media, uh, hospitality deal that they had in there that was pretty nice with bottles of water snacks and things like that but other than that if you actually go into where you get food you you pay for it and you're at a convention center so it's definitely uh you know it's it's not bad food though it's it's good stuff they got there's even a starbucks inside and all that stuff if you get there early enough so it's nice sweet so that youtube video i watched was clickbait oh my gosh i i oh, am no. staggered well, which one uh i don't know it was some short that I watched that was like, oh, the free food at SEMA. And it was just, you know, plate after plate of some guy walking around getting free food. But it sounds like maybe he was buying that free food. <laughs> <laughs> he was probably at a, at a at a sponsored booth that had that. So many companies that are there will sponsor, you know, breakfasts and things like that. There's so many companies there that want to 
kind of leverage those relationships to be there that they'll sponsor food events. So he was probably at some sponsored event that had supported food. Yeah. Makes sense. I'm very food motivated so that, uh, that I, I <laughs> clicked on it, <laughs> but, uh, EVs in general, um, do you want to maybe talk a little bit about EV conversion and the electrover and kind of, I know, I know a little bit about it and I always enjoy hearing about it, but this may be the first time some folks have, have heard the story. No, of course. That's, uh, I mean, not a big secret. If you guys are watching the video, I've got a picture of uh, an EV1 in my background here. Uh, I, I, I work for General Motors. It's not a giant secret during the day. And uh, one of one of my favorite things, I, this is kind of my gateway car here for EV stuff that's out there. Because this thing had a 80 mile range back in the day for what it was. And I saw uh, going through our history stuff, we actually have a museum back in Michigan that's called the GM Heritage Museum. And inside of there is a Corvair. And it was titled as the Electrover 2. It's got silver zinc alloy batteries inside of it. And it was there on display. The, the thing doesn't run anymore by any means. But it was so cool to see in person yeah. with the Electrover that I, I just I saw that. And being in the automotive industry for my whole career, you kind of get tired of seeing the small block conversions, the LSs, the everything that you go through. It's still huge respect to the guys that do it. But there's not as much challenge to it as there used to be. And seeing the Corvair, a car that was pretty heavily hated uh, throughout its manufacturing and as far as consumers were concerned, Ralph Nader even wrote a book about it, uh, <laughs> that it, I, I wanted something taboo and unique that was different. And, and I, I decided to build my own electric bear because I'm diehard General Motors and wanted to slam something together. So I did about two years of research um, of what it actually meant to convert a car. And it, originally, I was just doing it for fun. And uh, it, and I bought the car to convert it and then got re relocated for work down here into Southern California uh, in the beginning of the COVID crisis, if you will. It was in February that I moved down and March hit and the world fell apart and my job told me to essentially stay home. And I did. So I worked in my garage with my laptop and multitask for about nine months, putting my car together and... Uh, it's just a Hyper 9 conversion manual transmission with a five Tesla pack, 5.3 kilowatt hour modules that roughly gets 80 to 100 miles on a, on a charge on it. Man, it is just kind of blossomed into a thing uh, as far as into the conversion space because it, it, I built it for myself just for fun, but it, it, it has just totally grown into as uh, Rangology has grown and even my Electrovair platform for getting its reputation out there for I didn't realize how many other conversions were going on. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I got into this and I got the car driving and apparently that was kind of a feed in of itself because there were so many other people that were out there that had started conversions that were like, dude, how'd you do it? I need help. And it, it's just kind of turned more into a business model. And that's what Stormy's doing now the whole time as far as conversions and uh, getting that set up for uh, hopefully being able to transition into doing more and more conversions in this space, because there's definitely a market for it. And even at SEMA, just to reference that back to it, there's companies that are pop, popping up to help funnel that. I mean, there's, there's companies that do, do the conversions like Wrenchology, and there's about 10 other ones that are out there that I'll probably mm -hmm. mention today. Cause I, <laughs> we all get along really well for the most part. And then uh, there's even companies like fuel to electric that are starting to direct that traffic 
really kind of build in the scope. That's That's been a big thing in the conversion space when we get the phone call from the guy that's, you know, got his old beater Honda that wants to make it go 300 miles on 600 horsepower with a $10,000 budget or something. And mm. kind of, we have to set some relative perceptions of what it means to convert a car. Cause I think that there's a lot of, uh, oh gosh, how do I put that? Just misinformation out there yeah. of what it actually would take uh, to convert something as far as the cost is concerned and what it actually takes to make something reliable and feasible for a regular consumer to operate on a daily basis. But that's something that these companies are coming around to. And as the inter- industry has grown, we've been able to really kind of develop these skills and, and, and show what, uh, show what we can come up with as far as uh, making these more user-friendly plug-in systems so that it's not as complicated of a, of a process. Sure. Yeah. You know, I've noticed a lot of misinformation too, and I spend a lot of time reading and, and, you know, being enthusiastic about this space. And there's still stuff that I come across all the time. And I'm like, uh, I don't know, is that right? Is it wrong? Is it really a big deal? You know, um, what, what do you think about, like, where do you go to try and find the good information or to, or to sanity check things as you're kind of forging forward in this, uh, you know, new path? I, I think the biggest argument to have with a lot of it is to try to pull some of the everybody's kind of wrapped up into the political of what this is as far as an agenda and everything else that's associated with it. I really try hard to steer away from those conversations because I feel that they kind of, they, they pull away from the real message of what it means to own an EV, which is ultimately efficiency. Um, whether you're sure. in a conversion or whether you're, whatever it is that you're driving, if you've got something that's got battery power in it, uh, in relationship to energy and relationship to gasoline or diesel, electricity is far more efficient as far as its ability to store and use that energy uh, with minimal thermal losses in comparison to ice engines. Um, it, it's just night and day. So when, when we talk about, when I see a lot of the misinformation, the biggest ones are uh, probably infrastructure arguments that we get as well as environmental impacts and stuff like that. Um, the environmental one, that's kind of a negated one. We, we, we try not to talk about that one too heavily, not that about it, but there's no matter what you believe in, as far as what it takes to actually get the raw material it takes to manufacture a battery versus what it takes to, you know, get a gallon of gasoline into your car, no matter how you believe in that, the, the biggest message that I try to push across in all of this is that it really comes down to a consumption issue. Um, as far as what we are, and, and people don't seem to recognize that the, the largest investors that are in alternative energies as far as solar and wind and things like that are some of the people that you wouldn't think, like Koch brothers and these guys that are you know heavily right-wing leaning, they really are just kind of de- trying to divide us and all of this. And I'm trying to expose the divide so that we can come together and all this and kind of realize that these people don't care whether they're selling you a gallon of gasoline or a kilowatt hour of electricity, as long as their hands in the cookie jar. And uh, I, I think once people can open up their eyes to that a little bit better, they can help when they're reading these news articles that are saying that our grid can't handle it. And then they learn about things that are like BTG with vehicle to grid technology that's out there for bi-directional chargers. And you're like, Oh, the grid doesn't matter anymore. There's ways of making this sustainable it really helps you knowledge is the real winner, right? Like yeah. education, just to see and read opposing opinions. That's the best thing that you could ever do. Cause 
there's an opinion or news article that supports whatever you believe in today as fact. And uh, I think the biggest thing is to educate yourself to be able to see what's out there. I, there's there's a solution to most of the arguments that people have for EVs. And, and, and even as we're growing with a lot of this stuff, like the argument with cobalt uh, for its humanitarian issues, and I always say it's a good thing nobody's ever died over oil. Um, but there's... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, don't, don't mean to be too sarcastic with that. Because uh, we are, no, it was we are well still said. pretty big. <laughs> we are still pretty big ice holes, even if we don't intend to be. Because there's all, everybody kind of treats EV drivers like vegans. And the reality is, is that we're just trying to show people that there's a healthier way to eat. <laughs> healthier sure. way to commute. We're not saying it needs to replace your diet completely. We understand that it doesn't fit every consumer's needs. But I love what Stormy says. We're just trying to add an additional style of commuting to your fleet. By no means, uh, even companies like GM, you've seen, we're, we're not, not walking away from gasoline anytime soon, but in order to progress past it, we have to do some of this technology. We have to introduce it and, and let it grow. And it's really, it's been whacked down so many times throughout the 80s and 90s as far as the technology. It hasn't really ever had a chance to grow to its full capability. And now that Tesla's stepped up to the plate and found a way to make the electric car sexy, and, uh, you know, then now we, General Motors has found a way to make it massive and, and, and fast and show that efficiency is just a bystander of the power that it can produce. And, uh, you know, they forward in their space with the lightning. I, I'll tell you what, if you haven't been in one, go drive one just to go see how fast these freaking things are. Oh, it, it's just, it's amazing. I, I feel like I'm rambling now just going off into this, into this rabbit hole with these things, but. I, I hopefully you could understand where I'm coming from with all this as far as what it means to fill in the fill in the blanks with these with these bits of information. Yeah, no, no doubt. And for for me, you know, I track all of those things. But usually when I talk to people that are not familiar with EVs, I just lead with the performance because that is something that everyone can understand and can appreciate. And it's just fun. It doesn't have to be a bigger higher stakes conversation other than have you ever pressed the go pedal in a high power yep. electric car? It's pretty fun. Um, but you're right. The, the misinformation is, is real. I remember before I got my Tesla, I knew on paper that like range anxiety, I'm like, that's probably not really a thing. I know I'm, I feel like pretty confident that's not a thing, but there's still because of that lack of experience that, that side of me, that's like, well, I don't have direct experience, so maybe it is a thing. And then I get an EV and like within a week, I'm like, oh, this is total misinformation because it's <laughs> it's not a thing at all. And it's only a thing if you've never driven an EV. So it, it is a thing, but uh, I think that there's more and more uh, good information coming out there. But what I still uh, struggle sometimes to find is more information on the technical side, right? There's some, mm. you know, if you want to do a conversion, um, there's a lot of opinions out there on, you know, what batteries do you need, what, how sh you should do it. And, uh, and then there's also, it's really quickly changing. You know, there's some forums and posts that I've have gone to places that have been doing this a while. And the convention used to be like, you need a Volkswagen or something really, really light, an old Porsche. That's the only way you can do it. But now we have lithium ion batteries and the calculus has changed a little bit. Now you see some bigger things like, you know, classic Plymouths and the uh, Ford galaxies and old trucks yeah. that are getting conver converted. So like, I'm just curious where, 
were you how, how when you started with the electrover like when did how did you go about thinking through the process of like deciding on the motor and deciding on the battery pack and validating that it was you know going to work together so the it's so funny all those cars that you mentioned like Kevin's Plymouth and stuff it's so funny because that has been you get it under these uh, DIY electric car forums and wealth of knowledge, wealth of information that's out there. But the reality is, is that the message that we used to have out there, like the car needs to be under 3000 pounds to be feasible for a conversion, you know, and, and even less than that, if we could, Yeah, a lot of that's kind of gone to the wind with the energy density that lithium ions brought to the table for us. And even then that stuff is growing. That battery technology is so exponential. That is why like I have all the admiration in the world for companies like Electric GT and uh, that are developing these battery packs to be able to go in cars for conversions and stuff because that would stress me out. The amount of R&D that it takes to safely integrate batteries into a conversion is substantial and there's many safety risks involved and you're building that entire pack based around a cell design that may be obsolete in two years. Mm -hmm. And that really keeps me up at night. Even the go into my car, Tesla doesn't make anymore. They're the 18650 cell design and they haven't used those in gosh, probably almost five years now. So, and there's companies out there that have built packaging design around these modules and around that cell design that once those batteries are gone and used up, there's gonna be no more use for all of their design and patents that they've built around the packaging of those cells. Um, so all the respect in the world for the guys that are doing it, that they have to be full-time R&D to be able to stay on top of that curve. Um, but as far as the what it means to implement into there, there's uh, there's big things that we go into when we talk about a conversion. Um, the weight distribution being one of them as far as the balance. Uh, you know, a lot of guys are splitting their packs up in two, three, or four different modules sometimes to accommodate for floor space or weight balancing of the vehicles for the packaging of it. Um, because that's a nightmare. If you ever get a chance to go drive an EV that's got its, its weight misbalanced, it, uh, it, it kind of drives like a forklift to put it <laughs> lightly, um, which is funny because a lot of the older EVs actually had forklift conversions. <laughs> that was the motor that moved them. The old DC um, ones. Yeah, yep, exactly, exactly. Uh, but no, there's it, it kind of goes back into there that there's been guys that have been doing this for a long time um, like, like green shed, that guy is amazing wealth of information, Seriously. Love his channels <laughs> and, uh, and seeing what he's doing out there. Um, but it, it's, it, it's crazy to see how, how, how fast this, this conversion space has evolved into what it is now, because like you said, with the energy density, I mean, we're roughly 15, 20 pounds per kilowatt hour is what we calculate. And th this is where that really breaks down. Like the math of what we're talking about, of what it means of okay, I've got this car that's this big. How much battery can I get into it? How much is that battery going to cost me? What do I need to integrate it into the vehicle to get it to work with the motor, to get it to work with the charger, to get it to work with the DC to DC? There's a lot that has to happen there. And all of those components are voltage specific. So it has to be a totally balanced system um, that operates within all of that. It's not like, you know, an LS conversion that there's, you know, 10 companies that already have all the products for you to be able to buy your way out of. Uh, if you ever have any compatibility issues. So EV space has been a very fast evolving space for that, especially for companies like Electric GT, because their, their big thing has been integration for a lot of stuff because they're working with companies like Speed 
and things like that to make it more DIY friendly for guys that aren't maybe 100% savvy with high voltage systems that don't want to get into this. We got a lot of, uh, you know, hot rod shops, if you will, that are wanting to get into the conversion space, but don't have a lot of high voltage training. So uh, there's, there's companies that have been popping up to help simplify that for us, to simplify it for installers and upfitters. And I think that that's going to play a huge role as we move forward into this space because everybody that used to be afraid of it was afraid of it because they didn't want it to look like a, you know, a Frankenstein conversion. They don't want wires sure. hanging out. They don't want high voltage to be exposed. They want things to be isolated. And uh, I think they're really building a consumer grade type product. And it's not just Electric TT. There's obviously other companies out there doing this as well. Um, but it's the wild, wild west for sure because it's, it's, it's evolving and changing so quickly that it's hard to nail that down to say exactly what it's going to look like. But that's why I love seeing like what legacy EV did with that uh, F100 and stuff that they are doing. I, I love that because it took that whole message of like, oh, the car's got to be under 3,500 pounds or 3,000 pounds to be feasible. And they're, they're like, pardon the word, they're like, F that, like, look at this Cadillac with a triple Hyper 9 in it. Look at this F100 with a dual Hyper 9. Like they're, they're rolling out some of these big stuff. Same with Electric GT. They've got some yeah. big platforms. I don't know if you saw the split window Corvette that they had at the Tremec booth, but Man, that made a lot of people mad, but look at that car. It's so well balanced and it's got the right amount of kilowatt hours that need to go into it. And uh, that's, it, it, it really starts. I mean, we could, we could do a whole deal on what it was from start to finish for what it took to kind of evaluate a car for its feasibility study is what we call it. Sure. To see what it would take to go into there. Um, but the, the biggest things that we're looking at for when we look at that Corvette or we look at these bigger cars out there, the biggest question we have to ask, power and range. Like, Let's talk about those two numbers first, and we can kind of develop around there and maybe even rein in or, or expand on some potentials. You know, some people are like, oh, I don't want that much power or range. And then we look at it and we go, oh, well, we can actually. Oh, there you go. Sorry about that. We got a phone call in the middle of that. I thought I had muted it. <laughs> That's all good. Uh, but no, I. I now I got off the way. I got onto my rant, but no, they, we were talking about the uh, what it would take to convert a car in, in, in for that space and the horsepowers and uh, and and range. Range is the biggest one, to be honest with you. And it's so funny. I'm I'm sick of seeing the word like range anxiety when I when I see it commercials. So to me, it feels like somebody uh, using the term fake news again. It's just it's yeah. just like just we get it, we get it, we get it, we get it. After driving my, I had a Bolt, my company car that I drove from Seattle down to LA. And I'm just, I know what range anxiety is. I've had it before, but I've had it in gas cars too. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. The, it's the same type of feeling, but it's, it's amazing when you're like, oh, 20 miles of range in a, an electric car. You're like, oh, I can still go 20 miles. But in a gas car, you're like, oh God, I've only got 20 miles left. <laughs> it's really just a mindset and lifestyle change that we've had to evolve with that. But sorry, I keep sidetracking myself with these conversations. I hope you. I hope when you're done with this, that you can take this and actually take some of my ramblings and put it in some type of chronological order. That's going to be the hard. <laughs> no, it's it is a it's perfect, man. It's perfect because there's a lot of different components that are going into this, and and it's exciting. Um, I I think that you know one thing that I uh, reflect on is that um, when I first started getting into cars there was this sense that the the golden age was was over 
that like if you you know there's the cars of the 60s and then another age group was like the 80s and 90s with the tuner cars coming in and it's like well never gonna happen again that that those were the golden years um but i really kind of think that that the ev space and the innovation that we're seeing and yeah maybe things aren't modular now but they probably will be in in the future when you're looking at upgrading and working with these cars there will be a little bit more ability to swap things out um i think we're kind of at the beginning of a wave of something pretty exciting that uh that we will probably all look back on and be like, wow, that was amazing when it was the wild west of EV cars and people were putting down, you know, 1200 horsepower in, uh, in Teslas and all sorts of things like that. <laughs> no, I, so, I totally agree. I totally agree. So, um, you'd mentioned wrenchology a couple times. Um, I think one really kind of cool thing, uh, not only that the tech and the enthusiasm that you and Stormy have, but you guys also kind of come across as having some leadership in the education around these things. That's really cool. Yeah, that's that's kind of a big aspect of what we want to be able to lead this into and kind of what we've seen the the space for what we what we've kind of pushed ourselves into. We're, we're two people here, right? It's it's difficult to crank out a whole bunch of conversions real fast. We see much more benefit that we can provide to the community by having people get to know who we are when they do dive into these conversions and uh, offer some assistance in doing high voltage buildups and things like that so that these cars are safe. There's That's the biggest thing when people are doing conversions that they seem to be concerned about is A, they're worried about damaging any of their high voltage components, batteries and motors, because none of this stuff is cheap as of right now. So mm-hmm. any any anything that goes wrong in a conversion is pretty pretty substantial. I mean, you can damage an entire battery pack. I had a car uh, this year that went through uh, almost 15 Tesla modules at the cost of about $1,500 a piece. So you can do the math Oof. on that. It added up really quickly, um, all because of a lack of understanding of cell balancing and what it meant to match battery modules as they went together. So there's a lot to be had in the education space, I think, uh, to people that are wanting to do the conversions or learn about the conversions. Um, we're really excited for what Legacy EV is doing in their space. We're actually hopefully going to be signing up with them to take some of their training and get their their credentials for their certified program that they're doing. Uh, they're the only ones currently in the U.S. that actually offer something like that. Um, I believe there's an EV company across the pond doing that right now as well, too. But uh, we really want to get more into the consultant and education side of the business to help mm-hmm. assist these shops come out of the ice ages. Um, we've spent so long in this industry. I mean, it's as far as living in the gas side of it, and we see so many talented shops that have so much potential that are afraid to move into the space as far as the EV is concerned, most lack of knowledge. And we really want to kind of pull that veil down, right? We're at SEMA. We've seen what it meant for the electric car market of what we're seeing. I mean, three, five years ago, you would see one or two cars. And now there's dozens when you go to SEMA. It's almost impossible to go into any one of the halls and not see something EV related to it. And because of that growth, we're showing that electric cars and electric conversions are badass like who doesn't want to be involved in that space even if you hate EVs for whatever reason that you feel in your heart you can't deny that that's cool you can't deny that a a ludicrous Tesla isn't amazing or a 
you know, a, a Porsche 911 with, uh, you know, EGT's 913 system in it. And it isn't just absolutely amazing to see how quick it is. Like there's so much coolness to it that we want to bring that coolness into these shops that have been doing cool stuff. So we, we want to help develop and build training programs to, for, for guys like that, that have huge amounts of automotive background, that have been terrified of doing EV stuff that maybe want to get their feet wet into this. Maybe they don't want to take on their first conversion yet, but they want to know what that process looks like of what it means to do a feasibility study on a car, what it means to do loss of isolation testing. That's a big thing on these EV systems that a lot of people aren't preparing them. And uh, it, we, we see in our future um, more, more curriculum based uh, is what we would like to be able to support with this, with uh, some consultant work in the meantime to help uh, make these things more reliable. That's, that's been the big thing, even for some of the cars that we saw at SEMA this year, we look at some of the conversions that are even some of the most well-known ones that are out there. They still have some exposed high voltage terminals and things that I would consider not consumer safe yet. Yeah. And these companies that are trying to pop up to do conversions really need to take that into account for liability reasons. And that's the big thing that we try to push when we go to go meet up with these uh, different repair shops and conversion shops that are getting into this space of, you know, you can't have a exposed terminal to be protected with some type of EMS systems, doing the best of what we can to remove the liability out of the shop and add some safety for the consumer at the same time. And I think education is hands down the way to do that. And we want to be part of it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So when you did the Electrover, how did you figure out these things? Is this, you know, is there a process that that you kind of refined from the day job or just like light reading of electrical engineering, uh, you know, in your free time? Like how did how did you figure it out for the first time? So it's it's difficult when you first get into it because you're just kind of bombarded by the fire hose of information, if you will, of, sure. of what's available out there. The biggest thing was, uh, like I said earlier, checking my feasibility uh, for my realistic range of what I could squeeze into it versus money. That's the other mm -hmm. big thing with any other project car is money for cost of what it takes to put into here. Um, but there were other companies already that had been selling systems out there like EV West that you can go through and kind of research and see what they're doing as yeah. far as you know, motors and adapters and plates and things like that really kind of depends on what you want to do with the car, right? Some guys want a more mechanical interface with a manual transmission that they can still have an operational clutch and, and things like that. But mine, mine started diving heavily into the forums. Obviously I've got an electrical engineering background to begin with. So it wasn't too far into that side of it. Um, it honestly, it I think that helps. Diagnostic. <laughs> it, it did. It I did. think that helps. Um, <laughs> but believe it or not, that did not seem to be the biggest constraint. Uh, the biggest constraint I found really? is packaging and uh, weight balancing and, and uh, getting things to work cohesively. So mm. like when we do an LS conversion, it's easy because there's, there's not a problem in the LS space you cannot buy your way out of is the best way to put that. So if you've got an issue getting two different types of controllers, there's somebody that's built an interface that merges the two to work together. In the EV space, that does not exist. Yeah. You've got just a simple system or nine system that I have. The, you know, you've got a, if you have an Elcon charger, you've got my Ziva BMS, I've got the hyper with an SME controller, 
Uh, I, I mean, I, I even forget who makes my DC to DC inverter, but they're all different companies. None of them are designed to work with one another. And hmm. as of late, there weren't any companies out there that you could just pay money to to solve this problem for. This is something that takes a, a lot of research, a lot of time um, to, to figure out what it means to integrate it into the car. Then you start dealing with stuff like speedometer gauges of, you know, the state of charge. Um, and then you have to figure out that the, the only thing that really helped out with the engineering background on the electrical side is the battery pack voltages of what's acceptable for, you know, 100% state of charge. How much voltage sag can we have? What's the best cell design for the motor? Um, but honestly, I spent more time trying to safely package all of that into the car because um, a lot having a you know a manual service disconnect on the car. Like I said, it was probably about two years of research altogether, but ultimately it started with doing forum research as on the, the big ones, the DIY electric car forum, just yeah. to see what everybody else is kind of doing and pioneering this to see what they're what to do. And ultimately you kind of end up, I call it a la carte, where you're going through going, I like what they did. I like what they did. I don't like this. I don't like that. And you can kind of end up picking exactly what ends up fitting for your package deal to make it function. Um, that takes a lot of research, a lot of time, um, and you have to leave a lot of room for mistake as well, too. That's something that, you know, I, I had budgeted, you know, say X amount of dollars for this car. I almost went over by 50% of what I was expecting to spend on it, which is saying something when we're talking tens of thousands of dollars yeah. on, a, on a Corvair that I paid five grand for. Um, you know, the, the, the system in my car is far more expensive than the car itself will ever be. Um, but because of that, there was a lot of room for error as far as different style of connections and terminals and leads. Um, but once you get your arms around the integration of what it means to run one of these, I, I, I can't give enough credit for the information that's already out there on the forums for the companies like Electric GT and EV West that have existing schematics. They show you what they did to get them to work and function correctly. Uh, no, and if you can approach that with knowing that that's a generalized approach for a generic platform, um, you're, you're in really good hands. Um, and even after that, though, I, I guess the biggest other part of this with the conversion space, you can do the research for what it takes for integration, of what to implement and get the packaging safe into the car um, for the kilowatt hours that you need for the power that you're expecting. Uh, after that's all said and done, I probably still have another six months of playing with the controller to dive in and get the torque curves right to get the regen right i mean we're mm. the, the software side of it is such an evolving space i love seeing what like aemv is doing with yeah. their controller and like uh that was it, it, it amper ev over in georgia they have their own standalone controller as well too they're doing really 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 cool stuff in this space because i can tell you at least from my side of it being able to dial in regenerative braking and different driving profiles and torque curves and making that smooth and realistic and something where I would feel comfortable selling that to a consumer. That's a lot of research. That's a lot of time. There's a lot of, there's a lot of work that goes into the calibrations to make one of these cars drive the way in a traditional way that we would expect. And uh, that is, that's, that's been, uh, probably the more fun part of it of the build to be honest with you because i like sure. the software side of things as well too but it's been a it's been a big learning curve for me running the you know the sme controller and now what we're doing with AMED and so on some of these other cards that we have coming up and uh it's 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 a it's a big learning curve so if you want to get into the ev conversion space know that not only is there a big learning curve but the technology is exponentially 
<laughs> changing. So it's uh, get get on the surfboard and ride, baby. Like it's it's coming and it's gonna be badass and uh, it's 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 gonna be it's it's gonna be something that you have to pay attention to if you want to be part of this movement with it. Well, what you just described that I think is really exciting is uh, you just described tuning, right? We people think, yeah. oh, you can't tune EVs, but you just described exactly, you know, just a piece of what that is. So I really appreciate it. I want to be sensitive to your time. We're uh, we're just about up for the day, but uh, um, really, thank you so much for taking the time and, and chatting through this. I think there's some really good advice in here for folks who are interested in just learning about EVs in general, or even starting to uh, starting to think about what it might be if if they wanted to to do one themselves. So I'll have all your links in the show notes and everything if anyone wants to reach out and ask some questions or or maybe work with you guys. Absolutely. Hey, we appreciate the plug and yeah, we'll we'll help out anybody any way we can with this stuff. It's it's too fun not to. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Gregory. Thanks, Daniel. Have a good one. You too. Bye.